It's the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in Real Time. I'm Avi Bernard, here with you every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. So grateful to be joined by Christopher Catalago, California Bureau Chief for Politico. Welcome, Christopher. Hi, how are you? Uh, really good to be here. Well, thank you for taking the time to speak with us uh, about your article in Politico about California Governor Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis tentatively agreeing to a debate. Now, this is something that uh, doesn't happen a lot. I'm not sure if it's ever happened where two, uh, I just, I guess, just random governors. Um, I know they both have ambitions of being president one day. Obviously, Governor DeSantis is running for president right now, although he is um, increasingly unlikely to win. And we know that Governor Newsom wants to be president eventually, although obviously he's not running this cycle because that would have been a a career suicide uh, going against an incumbent Democratic president. So how did this, other than these two kind of just trading insults back and forth uh, over the past several months, how did this uh, come about? So we kind of, I look at it like we're in this age of these televised town halls with these candidates. Um, We've seen it in some of the past cycles, obviously 2016, but really in 2020 where, you know, networks like CNN found out that there was a real audience, not just for the debates between the candidates um, and sometimes two debates when the field was so big, they would have to have split up the field and do two debates, but also for these town halls and people would watch. I mean, this is what put arguably Pete Buttigieg on the map when he did his CNN town hall. You know, the mm-hmm. money started flowing. People saw him. Um, you saw that with some of the other candidates in the field, these kind of breakout candidates who come out of nowhere. At the time, there was Andrew Yang. And so I think, you know, these politicians recognize that some of this, um, you know, the entertainment factor here is playing into it. And you also have um, Gavin Newsom, who recently decided and did end up doing this long sit down. I think he sat for 88 minutes. It stretched over two separate uh, episodes Mm. of the Sean Hannity show on Fox News. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that that plays into it, it, too. You know, you see the kind of erosion of of some of the the local media here you see a lot of our politics being nationalized um even before ron DeSantis got into this presidential race you know during covid there was this kind of standoff and debate about which state was handling the pandemic better and was it florida (laughs) was it california was it new york and you you know remember these these made for tv press conferences Mm -hmm. with with former Governor Cuomo in New York. And so I think all of that plays into it. And then, and then um, you know, you had Newsom and, and DeSantis from even before, um, well before DeSantis was in the Republican presidential race, and mm-hmm. obviously when he was in a better standing in his party, um, you know, sparring. And, and um, so I, I would say it's the multitude of, of factors that play into this. But basically, you know, these these folks want attention and Mm. you know arguably the difference here is that newsom's been asking desantis to do this for quite a while the real change here is the standing of ron desantis in the republican presidential primary where Mm. maybe he's reached a point in that primary 
uh, a, you know, maybe a low point where he would agree to do this. I mean, that that's kind of the, the news here is that he agreed to do it, not so much that they were going back and forth over doing it. Right, right. And so uh, that's what I want to ask you about. Is this a desperation move from Ron DeSantis because he is sliding in the polls and he's burning through cash and his campaign has undergone three or four resets in the in the past uh, three or four days it seems but in the past couple of weeks is this is this something that Ron DeSantis feels like oh if I if I uh, have a fight a very public fight with uh, with a liberal with a popular liberal on TV maybe this can help me out with my base and with the uh, with the people who are not currently supporting me well what we've seen him try in this primary is essentially to run to former President Trump's right, and that hasn't really worked. I mean, he's not peeling off. He's down 40 points in national polls. He's down by a lot of points in in these early states. And, you know, you've seen in the last couple weeks, even before he agreed to this debate with Newsom, who's not not on the national stage at that level, get into it with um, Vice President Kamala Harris. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he's attacking uh, Democrats. I mean, at, at least Harris is on the ticket, but he's attacking these Democrats, including Newsom, who's not on the ticket. He's been largely um, discouraged from going after his real opponent in this primary, mm-hmm. um, you know, who is Donald Trump. And so there is an element, like you say, to. Um, can I win the hearts and minds of some of these conservatives, some of these Republicans, by going after these, you know, uh, Democratic foils? Because it's, it's, you know, the the what limited attacks he has tried to land on Trump, whether it's, you know, largely been this electability argument, right? Like, Trump lost the last one, and I'm a winner because I won in Florida by several points. Um, it, it hasn't, that hasn't worked. You know, the Florida miracle argument um, that he's made, that hasn't worked. You know, people from these other states say, well, you know, Florida might be all right, but it, they're not buying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so certainly it seems like a new tactic for him. The only other thing I would add is, you know, he, he was in this, uh, this was, he agreed to this in this Sean Hannity interview, and they, they, there may have been some discussion before that. I, I don't know if they talked about it before the interview, of, um, and and Hannity may have told him he was going to ask. I, I don't know. But, you know, there's also an element of when you get asked, which he had been asked mm-hmm. before, would he, would he debate Newsom? And he said, you know, he gave some sort of answer and wiggled out of it. You know, there, there, he was also put on the spot to some degree. There's some real questions about whether this debate is really going to happen. You notice that mm-hmm. Newsom, when he, when he wrote a letter to Sean Hannity uh, giving the kind of rules and parameter of this debate, he put it way out in November. November is an eternity in presidential mm-hmm. politics. I mean, who knows the state of Ron DeSantis' campaign by November? And the fact that there will be Republican primary debates before then, again, we've seen these, these folks fortunes rise and fall many times over so keep an open mind maybe it'll happen um but i'm not convinced that this will happen yeah yeah and absolutely i i i won't believe it's actually going to happen until it does happen but you mentioned that maybe sean hannity didn't ask him about this before the interview and that would be just brutal and we know hannity is a big trump fan 
But to, to blindside someone like that and say, oh, by the way, you're going to do this de- debate with uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom, you don't want to be seen. It's like on the playground. You don't want to be seen as scared of a fight. Like, yeah, let's do it. Let's uh, let's let's go fight it's right really now. It's really putting someone on the spot. Yeah. It's really putting someone on the spot to ask it in that way. Yeah, one other piece of reporting we we got kind of after the fact is people wonder from Newsom's perspective, right? Well, are you showing up Joe Biden here? You know, mm. are you are you trying to uh to take the place here and and one of the things we we did find out after the story ran and which was not surprising to me is um over the last few months Newsom has been doing a lot of uh back channeling and a lot of conversations with the Biden folks and so they were not caught off guard by this invitation that he sent. Now, did they ask him to do it? You know, probably not. I mean, this is something mm-hmm. Newsom really wants to do, but you know, they're willing to indulge it and he's been a, a something of kind of a real surrogate for them, especially since this Hannity interview and when Biden came out to California, Northern California last time Newsom um headlined a fundraiser for him and he's raised a lot of money for him online and there's a way to probably do one of these debates where sure the the attention is on you but i would imagine newsom would would try to speak less about um california and himself Mm -hmm. you know if he were to do it in a smart way and and to to be there more as a surrogate for biden and it's you know it's 90 minutes of airtime to say you know the Democrats have done well, which he would argue, and that that Biden's done well with uh, all kinds of things, including the economy, and that um, DeSantis hasn't. So, um, you know, it's a way for him to clearly, uh, clearly promote himself and 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 be there on the big stage. But it's also a way for him to kind of prove his mettle as a surrogate for Biden. So you mentioned uh, that President Biden was okay with this, and that the G- Gavin Newsom and his team wisely reached out to the Biden administration to see if this was okay. But how do other Democrats feel? Uh, we were talking about this a little bit earlier in the week, and a couple of, couple of people said they thought it was unnecessary and that maybe that, they, that Governor Newsom shouldn't be trying to do this. But uh, how do you have any sense about how the party at whole uh, or the party at large uh, feels about this? Do they feel like Governor Newsom is kind of just trying to get some attention and, and, and doing the party a disservice? It certainly depends on who you ask. I mean, if you go ask the uh, the aides and the surrogates and the supporters of some of this, the other next generation of Democrats kind of, you know, waiting in the wings, mm. you know, they're, they're, they're not stoked about it. They're not, they're not too pleased. And, and what they point out, I think is less so that Newsom's seeking attention here, but they're worried that, DeSantis's campaign has fallen so far mm-hmm. that this merely will serve to to jumpstart him in some way, right? If you don't if you don't knock him out in that thing, a lot of his supporters we're in such a polarized environment where you watch some of these back and forths and both sides can see enough in their candidate that they could claim some sort of victory, right? Mm-hmm, like right. both sides have a couple, uh, you know, uh, sort of rehearsed or thought of lines that they could throw out there. And that's enough for a 10 to 30 second clip you could see out there on social media where right. their, their followers could say that they sort of own the other guy. Um, and that's the thing about these debates is, some people watch them in their totality, but so many more people end up seeing a clip here or a clip there. 
and they don't really tell the full picture of it. And so, but there's also a lot of immediate reaction on social media from the Democratic side, at least, that given, um, you know, given the debates they've watched in the past, some of them, DeSantis had, had debated Charlie Crist um, in the uh, Florida, go- the last Florida governor's race last year. And, um, you know, was not seen as a commanding debate performance. It was, you know, there was there was some awkwardness there, and Newsom never has never been at this at that stage uh, or, or at, at this stage that this would be. Um, but you know, they look at the Hannity clips, and mm-hmm. so I think there's a, a, other Democrats who are pretty confident in his skills and think that, hey, if they're big Biden supporters, like yeah, maybe. You're listening to Ariva Martin in real time on KBLA Talk 1580. And it's the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard with you every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific. And it is true. Thank you, Howard, for having my back. I do read the chats. I'm sorry I didn't get to it right away. Pretty brown Mimi. But I was just knee deep in a conversation. And sometimes I just uh, don't always see it right away. But I do look at the chats and I do read them. And if you do uh, want to make a comment in our YouTube channel, we do read those chats and, and read the comments on air sometimes. Both uh, Pretty Brown Mimi and Howard are, are agreeing that uh, the debate between Governor Newsom and Governor DeSantis would be, quote-unquote, a doozy. Because Pretty Brown Mimi is a Floridian, so that means you know firsthand what a psycho he is. Uh, and uh, if you want to be involved in this conversation that we're, that we're about to have, you can give us a call, 800-920-1580, 800-920-1580. Going to be talking to Candy Andy about uh, some of the sports stories that, are, that have been happening today. And a, a lot of them just happen to be in California and in L.A. And so we have this, this late-breaking news just now, just today, of Anthony Davis re-signing uh with not re-signing signing an extension he was already under contract for the next two years although the second year i believe would have been a player option which means the player can choose whether they want to opt into that that year or not or they can opt out and become a free agent so he would have been with the lakers at least one more year and this was the first day that he was eligible to sign his extension and he did sign that extension and it was a max extension Three years, uh, estimated at $186 million. That is a bonkers amount of money. If you do the math, it's about $62 million per year. $62 million per year is what Anthony Davis will be making in, in the three years that he just extended. So, I am a fan of Anthony Davis. He came over from the New Orleans Pelicans in a trade in 2019. And the Lakers immediately win a championship in the following season, 2020. In his first season with the Lakers, they win a championship. To me, when you make a trade for someone and that trade results in a championship, it was a good trade. No matter what happens after that, it's a good trade. You never know when you're going to win another championship at, as any franchise, even if you're the Lakers who are tied with the Celtics with 17 rings, the most all-time in the NBA, even though the Celtics, all, half of their, more than half of their rings came when there were like five teams in the league and they shouldn't even count. But that's another conversation for another day. The point is, Anthony Davis has been an instrumental part of the Lakers since he came. He helped us win a championship. Yes, I said us. 
I'm not employed by the Lakers. I'm just a crazy Laker fan. Yeah, some people hate that. Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I wanted to clarify. Um, but we won a championship with Anthony Davis as soon as we traded for him. And then, obviously, he had a lot of injury problems in his second and third years with the team. He played a total of 76 games in those two seasons combined. And, uh, and, and in the year, in 2021, when the Lakers were defending their championship, they were up 2-1 to one in the first-round series against the, the Phoenix Suns. Anthony Davis gets hurt. The Lakers lose that series. People were mad at Anthony Davis because he got hurt, even though he just delivered us a championship. We don't win that championship in 2020 without him. We aren't in that position to beat the Suns in 2021 without him, obviously, because as soon as he gets out, it's a wrap. And 2022 wasn't much better. But this year, this last season, I think Anthony Davis really came through. And he really showed that he can be durable. And he played a lot more games than a lot of other superstars played this this past season. And he, he was there for every game of the Lakers' playoff run to the Western Conference Finals. Every game, playing heavy minutes every game. And they want to talk about his offensive inconsistency. Yeah, he, did, he didn't score 30 points a game, and he had struggles from the offensive end sometimes. But he was there every game on defense, keeping us in the game. Every single game, he was the best defensive player on the court on either, on either team. In, every, in, both, in both series that we won. And he was also good in the, in the Nuggets series. So... Andy, I want to ask you, as a fellow member of Laker Nation. Yes, sir. Was it a good idea for the Lakers to re-sign Anthony Davis, especially for that large sum of money? I'm actually quite surprised by the deal. Um, I, I, I feel like I've been hearing a lot of rumblings from individuals that, that are advocating uh, for AD to be traded. So uh, to hear this news from the Lakers, I don't know if it's something that the Lakers know. I don't know if it's something uh, within AD. I don't know if it was a conversation that they had, but I think uh, that they have developed a little bit more confidence in AD moving forward. And uh, I mean, I think you you kind of illustrated, you know, uh, his value uh, towards the end of the season, although he only played 56 games this past season. I don't know. I don't know if I like that. I, w I want him to play. A couple more games of that give me at least anywhere between 65 to 70 games because I think we we need them during the season I know a lot I know a lot of these teams nowadays that they look at the regular season they don't take it as serious they they want to coast all the way to the playoffs um and, and, and prove their medal there but I do think that uh with the Lakers I think chemistry is going to be crucial mm -hmm. and and AD's presence is going to be crucial for him to miss half of the season or a, a quarter of the season, in my opinion, is unacceptable. Um, so th this gives me a, a little bit of hope. And I will say, you know, his run during the, during the playoffs, I did see something uh, a little bit different in AD's eyes. It, it looked like he wanted to do better. Um, I still think he needs to um, clean up the issue that he had with uh, whatever that was when LeBron passed Kareem. <laughs> I, I, a part of me, part of me feels like that's the reason why LeBron kind of hinted at, at retirement. And the only reason why is because he is looking at AD to kind of be that his successor. I need you to be the driver. I need you to be number one. And, you know, him pouting, him kind of being a little bit inconsistent, even though he showed his medal during the playoffs. It has to be rectified throughout this coming season before the playoffs. 
Well, you mentioned that a lot of people want to trade AD, which was surprising to hear. From Who a lot of people. are they going to trade AD for? I think I think uh, a lot of people's reasoning is, I mean, his health. That's but who one are they going to trade for? You're right. I don't know. It's they didn't. They never suggested who to trade for, but it would have to be youth. It would have to. We would have to go young. Maybe maybe send them to like a place like Houston, so to speak. So you know, we can get a lot of their young talent to come to the Lake Show. So here's the issue. Here's one of the issues I have with people slandering Anthony Davis and saying the Lakers should trade him. The issue I just mentioned. Who are you going to trade him for? We've seen what happens when LeBron and Anthony Davis are both healthy and they have solid supporting cast around them. We saw it in Anthony Davis' first season. Championship right away. Can I, can I say this? Because you're very much so emphasizing that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, a lot of people tend to not give a lot of credence to that championship. For what? In the bubble. And, and that's, those are haters. Anyone who's not given... The proper due for that championship is a certified hater. It's certified because <laughs> you have to look at that situation. Everyone is on the equal footing. Everyone, ha- every- you're playing every game in the same gym. I'm, hit- I'm with you. 100%. There's no, there's no home court advantage for anyone. That's as equal as it, as it can be. And if it, and if you really want to think about it, the Lakers probably were at the biggest disadvantage because they were furthest away from home because that bubble was in Florida. True, true. And you can't just – no one was allowed to leave that bubble. No one was allowed to have their family. It was the same circumstance. Anyone hating on that championship is a certified hater. I can print you a certificate because you deserve it. And so, regardless, we're going to ignore those haters for now. <laughs> okay. Because all that is is hate. They wish their team won that championship. I will say this. Let's, let's rewind back to 1999 in the lockout season. When San Antonio won, right? When they when they won again back in two thousand and three, there was a lot of talk about you know what this is the real championship. If I remember correctly, I felt like David Robinson felt more proud about that two thousand three chip, uh, uh, besides the nineteen ninety nine chip because it was a lockout season. It wasn't a full season, and it's the same thing with the two thousand. Me, I don't agree with everybody else. I'm with you on that. You know what I'm saying? A championship is a championship, but you know. Uh, Amongst the public's eyes, they don't respect it, despite Haters the difficulty and the challenges Haters. it was being in that bubble. Haters don't respect it. Those are the only people who don't respect it are haters. And if their team would have won it, I guarantee they would have been like, oh, we the champs. Even if it was their <laughs> first championship and right. only championship, they would have been screaming. They would have been, been so happy. And because it wasn't their team, they want to find an excuse. People are always going to find an excuse to hate on the Lakers anyway. They're always going to do that. And that was and that was one of 17 championships. That was just one of 17. So haters can hate all they want. That was a championship just like any of the other ones. So it wasn't LeBron and AD's fault that that team got dismantled, that they traded away KCP and they they got rid of JaVale McGee and, and Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard Crucial the, the, the perfect front court assembly of those two and Anthony Davis you could have kept both of those guys for not a lot of money because they didn't have like these huge breakout seasons they were just perfect fits for that team mm-hmm. and I'm a, I'm a believer in when you win a championship you bring every piece back that you can it's not always possible because in, like in the situation with Bruce Brown and in Denver mm-hmm. he he outplayed his contract and Denver couldn't afford to keep him that's that's a different situation in the situation with the Lakers after the 2020 championship D- Howard and JaVale McGee were both affordable still. Mm-hmm. And you should have kept them both. And I think they wanted to stay. And so that's that's what I don't get. <laughs> that's what I don't get. And so uh, I feel like um, 
the Lakers learned their lesson. Rob Palenka learned his lesson from that, mm-hmm. and they let LeBron persuade them into getting Russell Westbrook, which was another horrible idea. And they learned a lesson from that, and now they have assembled another team. And so Anthony Davis is as big of a part of that team as LeBron because LeBron can't do it without Anthony Davis. And I don't know that, Le- that Anthony Davis can do it without LeBron either, but I feel like Anthony Davis is is as vital to that team as LeBron, if not more, mm-hmm. because of the versatility he has and the ability to have, he has to, to protect the rim. And be that Absolutely. defensive presence. I think now with this extension now, AD, you got a you got a huge monkey on your back. You got to perform, my brother. You got to perform. Now, if the Lakers win another championship with Anthony Davis, I don't want to hear, ever hear anything about about him again. Anything. I don't care if if they never make the playoffs again after that. Because if you win two championships for a franchise, right? I mean, come on. And so the dude, dude has heart. You know, he has injury history because of his body type. Uh, I don't think it's because he's soft or anything like that. He. He, you know, I think he could, probably could have a better offseason regimen in, in, in previous years, but I think he, he cleaned that up and he had the, the stress injury, but that wasn't his fault this past season. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy the Lakers did this because you don't want that hanging over. You know Le- LeBron wants him to stay there. LeBron is going to play at least one year, if not two, two more years after, uh, after last year, uh, if not two more years, including this year, I should say. So... Anthony Davis needs to be there, and he's going to be a big part of building the team after LeBron leaves. So when we come forward, I do want to talk about this Pac-12 situation. This, the Pac-12 appears to be no more. Uh, not this year. They're, they're going to be playing this year because the teams aren't leaving that until after this season, but it looks like this might be the last year of the Pac-12. I'm not sure how the Pac-12 will withstand all these teams leaving just today. University of Oregon, University of Washington are gone, unanimously approved uh, into the, the the Big 12 or the Big 10. I always get those two, I always get those two uh, mixed up. But they're going to one of those two, and we'll we'll look that up for you, <laughs> and we'll have that for you when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. And it's the Friday edition of Ariva Martin in real time. Avi Bernard here with you as I am every Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Me and Candy Andy are talking sports, uh, and we are, are going to talk about this Pac-12 situation, the Pac-12 conference, the Pacific 12 conference, formerly the, the Pacific 10, formerly the Pac-10, and it's now like the Pac-6 because you've had, you had teams leaving. You've had UCLA and USC already agreed to go ahead and go to the Big 10, and now... Uh, just uh, just recently, you had Colorado go to the the Big Twelve, and Arizona also in the process of going to the Big Twelve. So that's USC, UCLA, Colorado, and Arizona already gone or on the verge of being gone. That means the Pac-12 is now the Pac-8. But you also have Arizona State in Utah applying to be members of the Big 12 now as well. So that means that it would be down to the Pac-6. And that's not going to stand. Either the other teams are going to leave or they're going to have to add some new teams. Andy, what you got? This is hurting my feelings. You know, <laughs> growing up, I was a Pac-10 guy when it came mm-hmm. to college sports. I mean, UCLA, USC, it made sense. These were all the West Coast mm-hmm. uh, teams that in my opinion 
based on America's standards, they weren't the the popularity for the Pac-10 wasn't up there with like the ACC, the SEC, whether it was football, whether it was uh, basketball, whatnot. Um, so to see, you know, U- USC, UCLA, and all these other teams like leave, it's just I feel like my childhood is uh, <laughs> it's, it's a done data for me. Yeah, it's it is it is a tough pill to swallow if you grew up being a Pac-10 and now Pac-12 fan. It's it's a little weird because as you said, Andy, they are West Coast teams, and now they're going into the Big Ten and Big Twelve, which are, you know, Midwest East Coast type teams. So in the Big Ten, you have University of Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Northwestern, Ohio State. These teams, those are the teams. Those are some of the teams in the in the Big Ten, and in the Big Twelve. You've got Baylor, BYU, Central Florida, um, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, TCU, Texas. So now you have the majority of your games uh, for UCLA and and all these West Coast teams are going to be further away, Mm -hmm. longer plane rides, Mm -hmm. a much more grueling season. There you go. It's going to be harder to compete with those other teams who are only having to uh, play a percentage of their games within an hour or two. So it it is it is tough, and it it does seem like the conference is, is well the conference is falling apart. And what does that what does that do for the remaining teams? And where does the conference go from from there? I mean, I'm not sure how the conference continues to exist, if at all. Um, but uh, any any closing thoughts on this, Andy? As we're almost out of time. Um. They may need to look into some of these Division Two schools, you know what I'm saying, or you know, grab some uh, some folks from the from the Mountain West Conference. That's still West Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I get it, man. It's it's business. I'm sure it's a money grab. It's unfortunate. That's what it is. But uh, it it sucks for for the UCLA USC squads because I think they're going to be already at a disadvantage uh, playing these uh, schools in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. I was I was always someone who would stand up for the Pac-12 and root for the Pac-12, and and now it's a wrap, man. It is sad. I am going to talk more about this because I will be filling in for Ray Richardson tomorrow on Out of Bounds at 7 p.m. here on KBLA. So if you want to join us for that conversation, I'll be here from 7 to 8 p.m. tomorrow talking sports, and we will get a little deep, deeper into this conversation about Pac-10 slash Pac-12, uh, and it's... Uh, apparent dissolution and no longer being a viable conference I, and if they were to add a division two school i would i would <laughs> that wouldn't do wonders for their reputation to put it lightly